Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Gray, and welcome to the Teaching Series Podcast. I am a follower of Jesus, and I find the Bible to be absolutely amazing and love helping people experience it anew. Because in my 12 plus years of teaching the Bible professionally, I've learned that most of us have never been taught how to engage the Bible the way it was intended in its original context, and we are missing out on so much. Because when the biblical text is set in its context, it becomes more relevant, compelling, and transformational than we ever imagined. My desire is for all people to experience the Bible this way and to see Jesus at the center of it all. It's to this end that I created the teaching series, which is a weekly video series that explores some aspect of the Bible in its original context and then talks through how we can apply it well to our own context. This podcast is the audio version of those highly visual video teachings, which can be found at walkingthetext.com. So if you find an episode particularly helpful, I'd encourage you to check out the video version as well. And please feel free to rate and review this podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's jump into the episode. Friends, hello there. Hey, if you are watching or listening to this on the release date, today is Christmas Eve. And this has now brought us to the end of the Advent season. Tomorrow we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And for many of us, the festivities are underway. We've been going to Christmas parties. And today, many of us will probably attend a Christmas Eve service. That's what my family and I do every year. We have a no travel policy for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So we always go and have a Christmas Eve service at the church that we're attending or in the past that I've helped lead. And we come home and we have like a big meal. And then it is our family tradition to watch the Polar Express. So I'm sure you've got some fun family traditions that you are looking forward to today and tomorrow going and visiting friends and family, and just enjoying the culmination of this Advent season. Well, for the last several weeks, that has what we've been doing. We have been celebrating the Advent season, and we've been looking at this through what we've called the genealogy Christmas. And we have been in Matthew chapter 1, and we've been looking at Christmas, the anticipation and the realization of Jesus coming in human form through the biography written by Matthew and looking particularly at chapter 1. And so we have talked about how Jesus is a son of David and how Jesus is a son of Abraham and how Jesus is a son of Joseph. And today we get the chance to be reminded once more that Jesus is the son of God. Now, what's fascinating about how Matthew begins his gospel, his biography, is he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we've talked about the son of David and the son of Abraham, and then you get to the end of the genealogy, and then the next part that's proving the genealogy, where we find out that Jesus is the son of Joseph, and then today be reminded that he's the son of God, is that begins with Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Now, here's what's really cool about these two verses is that in verse 1, the word genealogy, and in verse 18, the word birth is actually the same word in the Greek, and it is the word genesis 
or genesis. And it's the word genesis. And it's a word that means genealogy, birth, offspring, or family. And so it means genealogy. It means birth. So that is an accurate translation here. But it is a word that literally connects us back to Genesis. It's the beginning. Something new is underway. And so there's not only something new underway at the moment that Jesus enters into the world, but it's the idea that it's connecting us back to the entire story. And all throughout this series, we have been looking at how Jesus has been fulfilling the story going all the way back to the beginning. But it's really cool when Matthew says, let's talk about the Genesis. Let's talk about what is going on here that's connecting us all the way back to the beginning of the story and something new is literally being birthed on the scene. And then we're going to pick up today at the end of where we concluded last week, which was Jesus as a son of Joseph, where Joseph is told in verse 20, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So here we have the virgin birth of Jesus, the idea of the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary And then we read this in verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is what we get in English. And it's the word Jesus in Greek. And it gets translated into the Latin as Jesus. And that's how we eventually get that in the English. But the word that Jesus is named is the word or is the name Yeshua. And what's utterly astounding about this word in Hebrew is that Yeshua literally means the Lord saves. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is reminding us that it's actually the word Yahweh, God's intimate, personal, covenantal name that God first gives all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. So, you know the story. God creates a good world in Genesis 1 and 2. Humanity jacks it up in Genesis 3. God puts this plan in place to bring about the restoration of all things. And we hear about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then we follow Joseph. And then all of a sudden, Exodus begins. And this family has become a nation. And Pharaoh enslaves them. And God comes to a man by the name of Moses. He says, we're going to partner together. And we're going to get them out. Because God made promises to Abraham and They are the plan, this people group. There is no plan B. And the plan can't do what the plan is designed to do if it's enslaved in Egypt. And so God comes to Moses and he says, we're going to get the people out. And Moses is like, well, if they ask me what your name is, what is it? And God is like, well, my name's a little bit too big for you, Moses, because your name was your identity. It was your calling. It was the essence of who you were. And so God will say to Moses, he says, I I am who I am, or it can be translated, I will be who I will be. And that's a little bit lengthy. And so God says, you just tell him I am sent you. You tell them Yahweh sent you. And so what's so cool is when God first gives this name, the best way I think you can translate the phrase that comes before where God says, I am who I am, or you could say, I will be who I will be, is that God says to Moses, you will know what I am like by what I am about to do. And then God rescues and redeems Israel from their slavery in Egypt. 
And then we have a new Genesis right here in Matthew chapter 1. And we are reminded that Jesus has a name. And it's the name Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. And as Matthew tells us, the name is given to him because he will save his people from their sins. So just as Yahweh gave his name and showed up in the Exodus story to rescue and redeem Israel from their slavery in Egypt, here Yeshua shows up on the scene as one who is going to rescue all of humanity from their sin and their slavery to the brokenness and sin and death that our original sin through Adam and Eve brought into God's good creation. And so we are reminded of this, that this is what Jesus' identity is. This is what Jesus is going to do. And we are so grateful for that. Now, interestingly, Yeshua or Yehoshua, another variant, is the word translated often as Joshua. And so this was a very popular name in the Hebrew Scriptures. This is a very popular name, even in the New Testament, that God was somehow going to save people through an individual. But we find out that Yeshua, Jesus, isn't just another human being on the scene. And this is where Matthew continues. He says, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then Matthew quotes, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And now Matthew actually gives us what this means. God with us. So now Yeshua is on the scene. He has been birthed onto the scene. And Matthew goes, yeah, and this fulfills prophecy. Now, what's interesting about what Matthew does here is he quotes from Isaiah 7, 14. And there is a context there. And so there's an interesting scholarly debate that's been going on for some time, because if you go back and look at the passage on the immediate read, you go, well, this seems to be something that was going to take place in like the lifetime of Isaiah. In fact, let me just put this passage up for us to read together. Isaiah 7, 13 to 14. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And then it seems to imply that a son of Ahaz, and this is more than 700 years before the time of Jesus, is the fulfillment of this. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here because the scholarly debate is helpful and it's fascinating and literally we would get caught in the weeds. But I love how the New English Translation Bible Notes gives us an understanding about what unfolds after this. I find this so helpful. And they write this. They said, in the original context, this passage pointed to a child who would be born during the, excuse me, during the time of Ahaz as proof that the military alliance of Syria and Israel against Judah would fail. Within Isaiah's subsequent prophecies, this promise was ultimately applied to the future Davidic king who would one day rule over the nation. So this is so helpful because the first part talks about its immediate context and how it played out, but the writer here says, no, 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 but this also got applied later on. 
And if some of you are feeling a little bit of confusion here, here's what we're trying to understand is that in this passage in Isaiah 7, 13 to 14, when it says that the virgin, the word in Hebrew can also be translated as the young girl, as if she is of um, sexual maturity to have a child, but not that she is going to have like this conception from the Holy Spirit like we experience in Matthew 1. It gets translated into our English that way, but the Hebrew word behind it can mean virgin, but it can also just mean like a young woman of meritable age who would have been a virgin, but would conceive through another man in order to give birth. But what we have here that's so interesting, and this is what the writer here is helping us to understand, is that later on the reading of Isaiah's prophecies was understood to go deeper than just the idea of something happening in Isaiah's day. Hence, that this was ultimately applied to the future Davidic king who would one day rule over the nation. And one of the ways that we see this movement or the depth of this phrase in Isaiah 7.14 ultimately becoming a prophecy is in the Septuagint, also known as the LXX. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And it happened about 200 years before the time of Jesus. And when Matthew gives this quote in Matthew chapter 1 of quoting Isaiah 7.14, he seems to be quoting the Septuagint here. And when you look at the Septuagint, when the Greek translators looked at the Hebrew word that was used in Isaiah 7.14, they chose to translate the word with a Greek word that meant virgin. So, hundreds of years after this passage was originally spoken through Isaiah, these people who came around to translate had this overwhelming sense that the prophecy of Isaiah did, in fact, mean virgin. And so, when we come to this Matthew story, we find out that with Emmanuel, that the Holy Spirit impregnates Mary, and that who she gives birth to is not just another man. He is actually the Son of God, divine in flesh. And then we read this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus or Yeshua. Now, Jesus never seems to be called Emmanuel. We don't have record of that. It's not like his family goes, hey, Emmanuel, come on over here. They would have said Yeshua, and that's what we get in the gospel story. And so Yeshua is what Jesus does. Emmanuel is speaking into who he is. He is the Son of God, and the Son of God, God in flesh, enters on to the scene. And this is what's so amazing about this, just for us to be reminded about, is that God was with humanity all the way back at the beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden. But then Adam and Eve taking from the tree changed that relationship. 
But ultimately, God comes and he moves into the neighborhood with the tabernacle because God wants to be with his people. God does the same thing when it comes to the temple. He localizes his presence in the temple as he did in the tabernacle. But then when Jesus enters on to the scene, we are met with the reality that God once again is walking among the people, that God came here to walk with us in the midst of our experience. And Jesus lives his life. He does what he does. And then at the very end, and I love this because this is the very last verse in Matthew. Matthew says on the lips of Jesus, Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age, that Jesus promises to be with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we receive that Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And as the rest of the story continues, we're reminded over and over, we have the Spirit of God that Christ lives with us. He lives in us. And the great proclamation at the end of the story, Revelation 21.3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. That at the very end of the story, the fullness of God's presence as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be among people. And this relationship will find its ultimate climax. And all of this was made possible because Jesus died and Jesus rose again. But in order for us to even get to Easter, the most important part of the year, we have to have Christmas. And so Christmas reminds us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. Christmas reminds us that Jesus will come again. But Christmas also reminds us that we have Emmanuel, that God is with us, that Jesus is walking with us in the midst of our stories. And that as we began this Advent series a few weeks ago, we asked the question, what do you long for this Christmas season? What are you hoping for? What are you anticipating? What do you desperately desire? And I would love just to remind us all that whether God has met us in the way that we desire, that whether God has fulfilled our expectations or not, we must be reminded that God's presence isn't contingent upon our expectation, but that God's presence is revealed in our awareness. That God may not answer us the way that we desire. God may not do exactly what we want to do, but we shouldn't doubt for a moment that God isn't among us, that God isn't with us. And that my prayer for all of us, not only at the climax of this Christmas season, but every day, every week, every month, and every year going forward, is that we would grow in our awareness that God is with us. That God is moving, God is shaking, God is doing things that we won't see or understand, maybe at times for years and maybe not this side of eternity. But Christmas reminds us that God was willing to come among us in the midst of the despair and the pain and the brokenness and the sin and the chaos and the death and to say, we are going to do something about that. 
And so, friends, this is what we celebrate this genealogy Christmas. This is what we celebrate as we are reminded that Jesus Christ came more than a man. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And He's promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. He came 2,000 years ago. He will come again. And in the meantime, He is with us in the power of His Holy Spirit. So friends, may you have a tremendous Christmas Eve. May you have a tremendous Christmas and may you celebrate well the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, everyone. 